You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. So with all the development in technology, I think the idea of individualism is really embraced in our culture today. Um, Just a couple years ago, I mean, we said we would go see a movie. Uh, And when we say we're going to go see a movie, we mean movie theater, right? We would go to a place where there's a lot of people, and we would see a movie with people. But now, the way that we watch movies is on our laptops, right? In our room alone, with our headphones on, we watch movies. A while ago, we would go to classrooms. We would actually sit in a chair and see a teacher face-to-face and have discussions with our classmates. Nowadays, uh, all our classes are going towards online classes, right? We are having discussions on on discussion boards online rather than face-to-face. Now, a lot of universities, they are offering degrees uh, just fully online. We spend so much time working with our computers rather than people. You know, the nature of work is changing because of the technology. You know, we can buy things and, and get something in our hands without even talking to a single person. We get it delivered at our doorsteps because of technology. You know, we are comfortable doing things on our own. And I'm not saying that you know, this idea of individualism is bad. I'm saying that we are getting comfortable with just being alone. You know, we want to do things on our own. And that's the message that's being uh, spread out in culture today. Our culture is becoming more about me rather than we. Right? The message that we hear is follow your heart, believe in yourself, chase your dreams, be who you want to be, and pursue the desires of your heart. You know, everything is about me rather than we. And not only is this found in culture, but I think in our spiritual life as well. Right? If we really want to just, just do church online, we could do church online. You know, we can listen to the best preachers, the best sermons online. You know, we can listen to the best praise bands with, uh, that, are just, you know, that are composed with um, professional musicians that they never miss a beat. You know, we can give online if we are moved to do so. You know, some people, they have this automated, autom- automated payment system where they can just tide automatically. You know, it goes out of their account. Now, if we want to, we just do everything online. Now, why do we come to church? No, why do we even bother to meet people when everything can be done by ourselves? No, we are living in this culture that embraces me rather than we. But in today's passage, Paul tells us something very different. No, something that is radically different from our culture today. It says in verse 1, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, in other words, what Paul is saying is, if you are a Christian and you have received the grace of God, if you have tasted anything good after your salvation, this is what you ought to do. In verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, meaning agreement, and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant 
than yourselves. Verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So Paul is basically flipping the script, and he's saying that what's important in the Christian life is we rather than me. He's saying if you are a Christian, if you are a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, you have to embrace this idea of unity, you know, to be of the same mind, to be of the same love, to be in agreement with other believers. Now, notice when Paul talks about this idea of unity, he's not simply saying that we need to get along with people. He's not saying that we need, just need to like people in our congregation. No, it's, it's deeper than that. In chapter 1, verse 27, Paul says, Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, standing firm in one spirit and one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So what Paul is saying is unity is not just getting along with people, but unity is having the same mind, the same attitude, the same goal. You are moving in this one direction together collectively, and that direction is towards the gospel. That you are living out the gospel, you are living out this idea, um, uh, the Christian idea in faith together, collectively. And when different people from different backgrounds, different age, from different values, you know, we gather together every Sunday, and to be honest, when I, when I look at our congregation in a worldly perspective, I'm wondering, man, how in the world are we going to get along? How in the world can we achieve unity? I mean, that's a great idea, but how? I and mean, we are so different. You know, people speak different languages. We eat different food. You know, we come from various backgrounds, and we have different preferences. You know, how can we achieve this idea of unity? Well, Paul says you have to be of the same mind have the same love, and go towards the same direction. Paul is calling us to this idea of unity. He goes even further in verse 3. He says that we should count others more significant than ourselves. He's talking about humility. In verse 4, he's saying that we should seek the interests of others rather than ourselves. He's talking about sensitivity. So Paul, as he's talking to the Christians in Philippi, he's sharing this idea of unity, humility, sensitivity. And he's saying that this is how you live out the gospel. It's not in front of a computer. It's not just reading your Bible on your person, and on a personal level, although we need that, definitely. But when Paul talks about the Christian life, he is talking in, in terms of community. I mean, who doesn't like this idea of unity, though? Who, who's against this idea of selfless humility? No one is. We all like this idea of unity. The question is how? Now, how in the world can we achieve this idea of unity, which seems almost impossible to do so? Now, how can we practice such radical love towards one another and understand one another and be of the same mind for the purpose of the gospel? That answer is found in verse 5. Paul says this, Have this mind, this attitude among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So have this mind. And what is that mind? It is of Christ Jesus. No, it's not food that brings us together, although I love some good food. It's not just by human effort. It's not just even by spending a lot of time with one another. Ultimately, what brings us together is the mind of Christ. That's the one mind that Paul is talking about. That's the one mind he is calling us to embrace. As believers in Christ, we should live with the mind of Christ. That's the main idea today. As believers in Christ, we should live with the mind of 
Christ. And obviously, when Paul is talking about the mind, he's not just talking about this thought in your head, but he's talking about an attitude. Um, last week, we were in uh, the basketball, we had our basketball tournament. I played in that um, tournament. Um, and there was one game that really s- stood out to me. It was a game that we played against the, the Korean young adults. Right? And uh, I guess everyone else was done with their game. We were playing, um, and Abby was on, on my team. Um, she's a member of ours. And, um, she, and you know, we were next, head to head, you know, we were, I think the score was six to six, and you're supposed to score up to seven. And she just takes the ball, she, she, shoots, she shoots her jumper, and just goes in without even touching the rim. And I'm like, man, that, that's cold-blooded. Uh, and I, afterwards, I told her that, man, you have the Mamba mentality. And, and what is the Mamba mentality? Where this, there's this famous NBA player called Kobe Bryant, and his nickname is the Black Mamba, which is this, this dangerous snake. And he always talks about how he has this killer in, instinct, especially towards the end of the games, that he works so hard, and he is just reckless when it comes to the end of the games. He's not afraid of shooting, and because of that, he, he won a couple championships. And so when I said, you know, Abby, you have the mamba mentality, uh, I don't mean you just ha- think like a mamba but, or you think like Kobe Bryant. I'm saying that you have the attitude. You have the, the mindset of Kobe Bryant. And the same is true for us. When, when Paul is saying, have this mind of Christ, he's, just, he's not just talking about what you think in your head, but he's talking about this attitude, this mindset that drives everything that you do in life. Now, this passage from verse 5 to 11, a lot of people believe that this is actually a hymn that Paul is quoting from the early church, that the early church, they came up with this beautiful hymn, and they would sing it um, sometimes collectively in a corporate setting or individually as well. And it's really this beautiful song that portrays this complete picture of who Jesus is and what Jesus is all about. No, this is very rich in theology. This is probably one of the richest Christological texts that we have in the New Testament. But I want you to keep, I want you to, you know, when you're reading this, when we are working through this, keep in mind that this passage, as much as it has significance theologically, that it's such a practical passage. The reason why Paul is sharing this is not so that he can equip you with knowledge, but he wants you to do exactly what Christ is doing in this passage. He is calling us to be like Christ, not just know about Christ. So with that in mind, I want us to look at a couple things. Have this mind, this attitude among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And what is this mind? In order to explain this, Paul first talks about the divinity of Jesus, the divine nature of Jesus, how Jesus is God. Look at verse 6. It says, he, Jesus, was in the form of God. Now, when we think about this word form, sometimes in the English it could be misleading because when we think of form, we think of something that, uh, that is of the outward appearance, right? When we say, oh, you have a good form, you have a good swing, uh, you have a good form, uh, when you play golf, we're talking about the outward appearance. But the Greek word here is actually the complete opposite of that. It's not just talking about the, what's on the outside, it's talking about what's in the inside. It's talking about the innermost being of someone or something. It's talking about the core, the essence, the very nature of a person. So what Paul is saying is that he's not saying, well, Jesus, he looked like God. He's not saying he pretended to be like God. He's saying Jesus is, by nature, he's absolutely God. His essence, everything about him, his substance, his being, he is fully 
God. He is clothed with majesty. He, is, he has this glory that he shares with the, the other members of the Trinity, that he is worthy of all praise, honor. He is fully divine. He is completely God by nature. And the reason why this is important is because what he says next is, is pretty mind-blowing considering that Jesus is God. He says, although Jesus was fully God and equal to the Father, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. No, instead of holding on to his d- divine status, his divine privileges, Jesus, he let go willingly of everything that he deserved. He let go of his glory, his majesty, everything that he deserved, everything that is rightfully his. The Bible says he let go of those things. He did not count himself equal to God. Instead of holding on to the things that is his, the honor, the praise, the glory, Jesus empties himself to the point of death. We see not only the divinity of Jesus, but we see the humility of Jesus. Look at verse 7. It says, Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. So when it says Jesus emptied himself, it doesn't mean that he kind of emptied his divine powers to the point where he's no longer God. That's not what it's saying. Um, Because we know by scripture, even during Jesus' earthly ministry, he proclaimed to be God. He said that I and and the Father are one. No, he never took a break from being God. Uh, Instead, while he was 100% God, he became 100% man. And when it says Jesus emptied himself, it means that Jesus, Jesus the eternal um, son, that his, in his divine nature, he was this king of kings and lord of lords, yet he became nobody. Jesus, who was above everything, he became nobody. Not just nobody, but look at verse 7. It says Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, which was the lowest of society. Jesus willingly gave what was rightfully his so that he might be a servant for others. He emptied himself to the point where he was born in the likeness of man. So the creator, the one who all things were created by and through, he becomes part of creation. In verse 8, it says this, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And friends, it doesn't get any lower than this. He served to the point of death and even death on the cross. And when we hear this phrase, right, that Jesus died on the cross, it's not that shocking. I mean, we, we hear that all the time. In Sunday school, um, in sermons, we know that Jesus died on the cross, and that's a big deal. But it's not shocking to us because I think in our culture, we have this tendency to make the cross something very beautiful, Right? It's, it's a great decoration. It's, it's a great uh, accessory. Um, it's something pretty. It's something appealing. It's something that we embrace. But if you would ask any Jewish person or even any Gentile person in the first century, when you would say the word cross, they wouldn't think something beautiful. No, they wouldn't think of something that is pretty. No, they would be covered in horror because the crucifixion, in the first century, was the worst death that someone could experience. It was brutal. It was violent. 
It was so brutal to the point that actually Romans did not go through crucifixion. They needed special approval by Caesar in order to crucify a Roman uh, citizen. So this was reserved for people who stood up against the Roman Empire, the worst of the worst criminals. This was reserved for the slaves who did not deserve anything better. No, it was this brutal, gruesome death death that that people had to go through. So when Jesus, he says that I endured the cross, when he says I humble myself to the point of, of the cross, he's not just saying that, you know, I did a lot of stuff for you. He's saying that I laid down everything for you. Jesus served with selfless humility. He loved us to the very end. You know, he lived a life that you and I cannot live, and he died the death that you and I should have died. He paid the price for our sins. And in return, you and I now have access to eternal life because of what Jesus has done as a servant. Because he served in selfless humility, because his self-emptying, because his obedience. Now in verse 9, it says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we see the divinity of Jesus, we see the humility of Jesus, and finally we see the exaltation of Jesus. When Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, to the point of the cross, it wasn't himself who exalted, it wasn't Jesus, he did not exalt himself, but rather the Father exalted the Son. And the same way, when we follow this pattern of servanthood, when we follow this pattern of humility, God is the one who's going to exalt us. So as believers in Christ, we should live with the mind of Jesus. The mind of Jesus is so different from the human mind. Because when you think about it, this passage... um, we live in the exact opposite way. Although we are not in the form of God, right, we try to claim equality with God, that we try to be our own God in our lives, that we hold on to these things in our lives that don't belong to us, actually, that they're temporary ours, but ultimately they belong to the Lord. But we hold on to them so dearly, so strongly, and instead of, in, instead of um, humbling ourselves and serving others, we try so hard to exalt ourselves. Unlike Jesus, who became a nobody, we try to be somebody so badly. No, instead of pouring ourselves in selfless humility, we want to be served by others. Isn't that the goal of life? No, isn't that why we worked hard, work hard so that we can go to a five-star resort or maybe, you know, enjoy life by being served by others? You know, the idea of success that's portrayed in this world is so different from the life of Jesus. But what the Bible is telling us today is that when we follow this example of servanthood, when we follow this humble example of Jesus Christ, that we are able to be exalted not by ourselves, but by God. That we don't have to try so hard to become somebody, but God will recognize us and he would exalt us, that he would give us um, the honor and glory that we can never achieve. The mind of Christ 
is something that we should embrace as Christians. The example of Jesus empowers us to serve and love in a way that is different from this world. You know, because of Jesus, we can serve others with a willing heart. You know, sometimes when we serve, um, and when we serve out of a good heart, but deep down inside, we want recognition, right? We want to make sure that at least someone knows what I did. Um, you know, if after a sermon, I always look forward to, you know, those encouraging words. Oh, man, Pastor James, there was, that was a great sermon. All right? uh, you know, it, I, I, I'm not going to lie. It's great to hear those, those words. Um, but if my ministry was dependent on those words, man, uh, that, I would feel so miserable because there are some days that I don't deserve those words of encouragement. <laughs> but, but still, um, out of kindness, you know, people say that. But ultimately, you know, what matters is not what other people think about my service. It's, it's how I'm serving God and serving others because of Jesus Christ. This idea of servanthood, this selfless act of humility, changes the way that we serve others. No, we don't have to look forward to other people's responses. No, we don't have to expect nice responses. We don't have to be worried about getting hurt by other people's comments. No, we don't have to try to control other people so that we can get the answer that we want. No, this means that we can serve people in the body, in our families, our friends, without expecting anything in return. That it is possible, like Paul said, that we can look for other people's needs, their interests, that we don't have to think of our selfish ambitions, but we can count others more significantly, not because we are insignificant, but because we know our significance in Jesus Christ. No, this also means that, that our service, our humility, it never ends. Jesus, he had no end. He never said, okay, I'm going to serve until this point, but he went all the way. He laid it all at the feet of the cross. You know, everything that he, he, everything that he endured, everything that he, he took upon um, himself. No, he didn't, he didn't cheat when he served us and when he loved us. And the same way, we are able to love other people without any limits. That we can, we can give ourselves uh, to them. You know, we don't have to reserve something for ourselves. I think a lot of times we are willing to serve as long as it doesn't make us uncomfortable. Right? We are willing to serve as long as we don't have to go out of our normal comfort zone. What the Bible is telling us today is that you are able to walk out of your comfort zone, explore things that you would never do and, do, and serve in a way that you would never serve because of Jesus Christ. When you have the mind of Christ, the way that you serve changes completely. When you understand the example of Jesus, you no longer serve for the glory of men. But just like it says with Christ, you serve for the glory of God. And that is enough. As believers in Christ, we should live with this mindset of Jesus Christ. Um, this, this morning, actually last night, I heard that the snow was coming. And when I first heard that, and there were a couple of people who texted me, and they were asking, is there church tomorrow? And, 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 and I was wondering the same question, right? It's, it, it's the first time we had such snow um, on a Sunday, like at least in my time here. And I was wondering, okay, is it possible that church will be canceled? Right? And, and, and I was thinking, man, if it canceled, get canceled, what would I do? 
you know, would I just get some chicken and, and eat with my family? What would I do, right? Uh, and then, you know, what I recognized? I recognized that I was so selfish in my Sunday worship. Because the first thing, when I heard the snow was coming, the first thing that I thought about was, you know, what am I going to do with my worship? I wasn't thinking, okay, how can I get to church earlier so that other people um, can, can park and make sure that snow is not there so that other people can park? What can I do um, and, 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 and to help people so that they can, they can um, feel comfortable or so that there's no accidents, right? No one would slip. You know, what can I do? You know, can I pray a little bit more? You know, what can I do so that people would not miss out on the Sunday worship? And when I realized that, man, I had to repent. So many times we say that we serve God and we come to church for God. But deep down inside, it's really because of our needs. That we, our service, even our service is being driven because of our selfish ambitions and desires. And what God is telling us today is that it doesn't have to be that way. Because Christ, he set an example for us that he not only talked the talk, but he walked the walk, that he demonstrated that it is possible to live a selfless life of humility, that it is possible to love without condition, that it is possible to serve to the very end, even people who you might think are not deserving. When we lay down our pride, when we embrace this mind of Christ, we can achieve unity, that we can achieve something that this world cannot see aside of the cross. So as a congregation, as a church, my prayer is that this new year, that we will be unified, not because we like one another, not because we have great food, although we do, but because we love Christ and we embrace the mind of Christ. Let's pray. So how are you embracing the mind of Jesus Christ? Are you living to bring glory to God? Are you living to serve others? Are you more concerned about the needs of others rather than your own needs? Can you confidently say that you embrace other people rather than yourself? You know, the church, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, which Christ has purchased with his own blood, I think the church needs to be different. That we can't just be satisfied that we like one another. That we can't just be satisfied that we get along with each other. But I think we need to embrace this idea that we can achieve unity, that different people with different values and different backgrounds, that we can come together collectively for one reason, because we have the mind of Christ. Christ set an example for us that all we have to do is really follow this pattern. If you are a believer of Jesus Christ, Christ is calling you today. Jesus is inviting you today to follow his footsteps. Just follow his example. And if this is not resonating with you, um, if you are not motivated to serve in such a way, my prayer is that your understanding of the cross will grow deeper today. Understand that the only reason why Jesus demonstrated this, this selfless humility is to save you. is to demonstrate his love for you. That he didn't hold anything back. And it's not because you were in such a, you're such a lo lovable person, but because it's, it's because he is love. What drives Jesus is obedience. Obedience is a choice. Humility is a choice. 
which means unity is a choice as well. It's not an easy choice, but it's a choice that we can make in Christ. So I think at this time, let's pray for ourselves, but also let's pray for our congregation, our church, for one another, that every single one of us in this room will embrace and live with the mindset of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.